Coming up on Studios America, mutiny on the HMS Pelosi as Dems push back on her budget plans. Andrew Wilkow follows up on the left's planned budgetary apocalypse and the Taliban. Yeah, you know what? They continue to gain ground in the Middle East following Joe Biden's purge of Americans troop, American troops there, which is crazy. Uh, the situation is, is in complete meltdown. We'll talk to legendary author Brad Thor about what is coming next as we do the Afghanistan disaster. Stu does America. They got to be careful here. As of the moment I say these words, the Taliban is in Afghanistan and they've taken over the second largest city of Kandahar, as well as half of the country's major capitals. Oh, wait, no, they just got 12 more. I'm sorry. I, I, now they have the whole country. Now they're the official government of Europe. That's the way this is working right now. That is what's happening right now. The Biden administration is gearing up to send troops back into the area to assist. We're sending troops back in to assist with embassy evacuations going on right now. Think about what's happening. We have to send in emergency personnel to evacuate out other personnel. Good job, everybody. This has been great. To sum it all up, complete and total cluster uh, disaster. Or as Mitch McConnell so eloquently put it, an even worse sequel to the humiliating fall of Saigon. Here to help us put all of this in perspective is best-selling author Brad Thor. His newest book, Black Ice, is on shelves now. Make sure you grab a copy of it. Uh, you probably know Brad as one of the most popular thriller writers of our time, but he also was a member of the Department of Homeland Security's analytic red cell unit, which helped the government brainstorm what could come next from terrorists and Islamic extremists around the world. He's been living in this. His mind has been in this world for a really long time, so I wanted to have him on. Brad, uh, welcome to the program. It's great to see you. Hey, Stu. Boy, are we living in breaking news this evening. It really is insane. I want to get to the book here in a second, but let's start, if we could, uh, with the unfolding situation in Afghanistan. Could this possibly be going any worse? No, and I don't know that it would have been any different under the Trump administration. So this is a product of the peace deal that was negotiated uh, between the Trump administration and the Taliban, where we agreed that if the Taliban met certain criteria, that uh, we'd be pulling out within 14 months. And that, that peace agreement was reached in February of 2020. So this idea of sending more troops in, uh, we need it. We have to plus up there to, to securely and safely get out our people. But this is something that should have been foreseen. It should have been. Uh, it should have been seen by the Trump administration. Definitely by the Biden administration. There, there. Nobody has clean hands here, uh, and we should have taken greater steps to help shore up the Afghans while we were working to unwind ourselves. And we didn't. It, it's it's a cluster that uh, that stretches across both administrations. Yeah, I mean, you can go back and look for the original sin here, and it happened uh, a bunch of different times. I think in our past. I mean, we know going back to the Obama administration, they talked about negotiating with. The Taliban. That always seemed like a terrible idea to me. Why, why did we turn around on that? And what did that make any sense? Well, listen, we weren't, we weren't winning. We were able to secure uh, the country to a certain degree, but there's a lot of places that we weren't. The Taliban were still gaining control and gaining territory. Uh, opium production was hitting record highs in that country. Uh, it, it was not, you know, this is not a, a nation like South Korea where we left troops or Germany uh, or a situation like Japan where you have a united one people 
people as a nation. Afghanistan is so fractured and so tribal that to unite all of these people and to get them to see themselves as Afghans first and villagers and members of certain tribes second, that, that just wasn't gonna happen. So culturally, there was an incredible disconnect from what the people were like in that country and how our mission was focused. We originally went in to degrade Al Qaeda and to take out uh, Osama bin Laden, and we never should have gotten into the nation building business. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. We have over 2,400 US troops dead, $2 trillion in money spent, over 20,000 US troops injured, and 3,800 private security contractors uh, dead. So this is this has not been a success. This is this is pretty messed up. Yeah, it really is. And I I I, I, I hesitate to say that the Taliban is one here, uh, even though they're running over the country right now. I mean, I it's one of those things we seem to have lost interest in this and we don't think that there's anything else for us to gain there. So we're leaving. And yes, they seem to be quickly running over the country and, and gaining back control. But they did spend, you know, a couple decades in a, in a cave until we got bored, basically, is what it seems like. Is that a win? How should we look at this? Well, listen, it is, if you boil this down to a, a, a look at who we are as a nation, we could have absolutely destroyed the Taliban, but we would have killed a lot of innocent people along with them. And that's not who we are. That's not how we do things. Uh, so in that sense, we didn't go in like the Huns and basically raise everything and kill everybody and, and all that kind of stuff. But it is it is an entrenched insurgency like the Taliban. Uh, they're nearly impossible uh, to uh, to eliminate. You know, I always laugh when the left says, oh, you know, what are you going to do with your AR-15s? You're going to resist the government. They have Planes, they have bombs. And I always say, look at the North Vietnamese, uh, look at the Taliban. Granted, the North Vietnamese had, uh, they were highly skilled and were armored and had the help of the Soviet Union. But, but a, a determined enemy with small arms can do can do a lot. And we weren't willing to go in and kill women and children and, and burn villages to the ground to, to get them out. So uh, again, I, I just think this mission creep and getting into nation building is a mistake. Uh, but I also, I, listen, it takes 13 weeks to make a United States Marine. We've been there 20 years. And for whatever reason, the Afghans can't stand on their own two feet and defend themselves. That's a big problem. I have a real big problem with that. That is, again, we have a cultural disconnect with these people that we can't turn them into fighters in, in, you know, in five years, let's say. That's a problem. But the second thing is, is that Afghanistan's important. There's there's a lot of resources there. There's a lot of competing interests in that part of the world in Central Asia. Uh, could we have left a, a force of 3,000, 3,500 there? Yes. But again, we made a peace deal under the Trump administration with the Taliban so that we could pull everybody out. And we're, we're giving up leverage there. Uh, so I, I think this thing is going to be poured over and discussed and, and sliced and diced for generations to come. Yeah. And this is why I think it's a fascinating, I mean, it's a terrible tragedy for the people of the country and for so many American soldiers. And there's, you know, the long list of things that are wrong with this situation can go on and on and on and on. But it's also an interesting story to talk about. I think looking at it from, you know, from a conservative perspective here, what has kind of come in fashion over the past few years is this idea that we should have just basically gone in there, hit them and, and, and got out after a year or two and, and, and let, let it go, basically. And, you know, I, 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 I think about, I mean, you're a war gamer. This is what you do all the time. I think about what would have happened if in 2003 there are no U.S. troops in Afghanistan. And my guess is we're dealing with Taliban part six at this point. 
Uh, it's what the hell should we have done, Brad? Well, so first and foremost, I think it's it was another mistake. Uh, we committed the same mistake in Iraq that we did in Afghanistan, which is to basically set up the national constitution and have it be rooted in Islamic law. I have no problem with Islam, uh, Muslim people, none at all. You are free to pursue whatever religion you want. I am a, a big believer in religious liberty. But you cannot set up a nation's identity based on one religion. There, Islam is not the only religion in Afghanistan. And to give special treatment to one group is a recipe for disaster, particularly when it comes to Sharia law, which does not respect the rights of minorities, of women, uh, people who are outside that faith. So if we really wanted to see success in Afghanistan, we would have worked much harder to separate mosque and state and not enshrine Sharia law as part of the constitution of Afghanistan. That would have been the biggest thing right from the jump I would have done. Mm, yeah, that that would have been a huge made a huge difference. Uh, obviously, we go through this situation, and we're there for what a, you know a decade before we are able to get uh, Bin Laden, and this just you know it does drag on. I think a lot of people look at the time from beginning to end and judge the war that way. Um, I have a little bit of a different view on this, in that, I, I, and I go back to what you just said about maybe having thirty five hundred troops there on bases that we built with our materials and everything there, which is a good strategic thing for us to hold. And I wonder if we get caught up too much in thinking of how long a war is. You look at the last few years of this war, it wasn't a war in any way that we would normally think of it. I think we had, I mean, you, you look at, you know, we, ha we would occasionally lose a few troops, which is terrible, but almost all of them were in like auto accidents. I mean, legitimately, like there was not a lot of, of actual fighting going on that was risking the lives of our troops. And, you know, now we leave massive air bases, all sorts of materials, all sorts of technology, weaponry. We're seeing the Taliban getting control of drones now. Wouldn't it have made more sense for us to keep a small for force on our bases and say, look, we're not going to be getting involved in every little skirmish here. However, you start doing stuff that really crosses a line. If they're about to kill 9000 women in some village somewhere, maybe we do jump to action and push it back a little bit. Is there a middle ground that we should have investigated a little more? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so you have the blue on blue uh, violence where you get a Taliban sneaks somebody into the Afghan National Police Force or something like that and shoots at people during a training accident, kills people, car accidents. Um, you know, any loss of American life or coalition lives uh, is is very serious, and yeah. it's something that the injury or loss of life life is something that we have to take uh, uh, into consideration. Uh, that has to be balanced o over or against what we stand to gain by leaving those 3,000, 3, 3,500 troops there. And I think we would have gained more by staying, even though I'm, a, a, I'm opposed to nation building period. I just don't think yeah. it's a good idea, but I would have liked to have stayed potentially for the leverage over there. And uh, listen, this, this is a, this is a bad deal. We did not have to push for this peace deal. I want to keep coming back to that, that mm. this is a, this is a peace deal that was negotiated under the prior administration because a political decision was made that all the troops were coming out. And I don't necessarily think that was the right idea. And by the way, I criticized Obama, uh, the Obama administration when Joe Biden was in charge of renegotiating the status 
status of forces agreement with the Iraqis yep. and Biden blew it. And that caused us to pull out of uh, Iraq as well. So uh, if we're going to get involved there, we have to think long term. Uh, but we can we can be there long term with a small footprint without being uh, making ourselves responsible for completely overhauling their culture in their civilization. That's not our job. I don't want my tax dollars going to that kind of a thing. Yeah, it really is a legitimately difficult thing to figure out every detail and make. There's no good outcome, I suppose. Um, I, I want to talk about another situation where there doesn't seem to be any good outcome. The situation we have with China, your new book, which is yet again another number one New York Times bestseller. This is just like what you do all the time. And uh, this book, Black Ice, is out and it goes into uh, really something that I don't think people have their finger on the pulse of yet. The, the situation with China, with Russia and the Arctic Circle. Can you talk about this? Yeah, so I asked two questions of people I know in the special operations community, the intelligence world, the diplomatic corps. What keeps you up at night? And what do you think the press is not doing a good enough job covering? And this year, uh, two years ago, when I started working on this book, the big deal was China's ambitions in the Arctic. So China is really working hard. It has no right to the Arctic at all. It's not an Arctic nation. There's eight Arctic nations. We're one of them vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Alaska. And China has been trying to get a foothold in the Arctic so it can lay claim to all of these untapped resources that are up there. And it's teamed up with Russia and they are leapfrogging ahead of us. In fact, we're playing catch up. Even Mike Pompeo admitted we're playing catch up up there. So I thought, okay, this is a really cool idea. China doing all this stuff, it's sneaking soldiers in disguised as scientists and trying to work with the Russians on all these crazy angles up there. And I thought this is a great factual backdrop to set a, a spy thriller against. And that was the genesis for Black Ice. Yeah, this is the 20th book in the series with Scott Harvath, the, uh, the, the, the super spy. And I have to say one thing about your premise, and I, and I don't want to fault you here on the air. I hate to call you out like this, but he's hanging out with some like drop dead gorgeous Norwegian uh, at the beginning of this book, and then he leaves because he feels like he has responsibilities to his nation. Nobody does that. Right, right. There's no, listen, there is no American dream without those willing to protect it, unless a really good looking Norwegian <laughs> intelligence op operative comes along and then it's just, yeah, good luck, America. That's a, you could use that as the slogan uh, for your book to market it. Uh, Brad Thor, the new thriller and the 20th book in the, I mean, it's amazing, 20 books so far. Uh, basically, all of them have been bestsellers. You could read them. You, can, you could pretty much pick these up at any moment. Is that right, Brad? Just like the James Bond movies. I tell people you can go see the latest one in the theater without having ever seen a Bond movie before, and my books are the same way. Awesome. Black Ice, you can get it wherever you grab your books. It's the number one bestseller, as they, they all are, for Brad Thor. Brad, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Great to see you. You too, Stu. Thank you. I mean, you're at a movie, you're reading a book, you want to have a good snack. What are you going to eat? Well, you can have snacks all throughout the day, but you might be packing on the pounds when you do it. That's why Built Bars are here. Built Bars are delicious. They are chocolatey. They are chocolatey goodness. They have all sorts of great flavors, but they're not going to cost you when it comes to the waistline. I, I, it's going to fill you up, too. We're talking about you know, 140 calories, I think, like 18 grams of protein. They've got amazing flavors, mint brownie, like chocolate coconut, uh, uh, I don't know. There's, they have nine that are, that are available all the time. And you might say, well, I don't know which one I would like the best. That's why they have the mixed box. You get a box, there's nine flavors, two of each, 
and you can try them all and then order as many as you want. Plus, they have new kind of limited time uh, flavors all the time. They do this cool thing that I love, that they're always innovating with new things to try. You got to go, uh, if, you haven't, if you're not in the built uh, bar bandwagon yet, you got to get on it. Built.com, B-U-I-L-T, built.com. Use the promo code STU15. Save 15% off your first order. Use promo code STU15 for 15% off right now. Do it. Built.com. So happy to welcome to the studio, Andrew Wilkow, host of Wilkow right here on Blaze TV, the Wilkow Majority, of course, as well. Andrew, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, you're in town. I love this, that you've been coming into town here and there. This is great. And I, 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 I saw that you're going to be in town, and I said, I have to have Andrew on the show because I have to ask him about one particular thing. Oh, here we go. Okay. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. We've, we go back a long way. Yes. We went through the Tea Party era, all of that. I remember the furor, the anger from our audiences about $787 billion. <laughs> I remember, oh my gosh, Obamacare could cost $900 billion. I remember what people thought about that, how Republicans said they felt about that in Congress. We, we, you know, we, we grew up on that, I yeah. feel like. And here we are, a year after spending $5 trillion on COVID stuff, we now have a bipartisan infrastructure bill for $1.2 trillion. And now on the docket, another $3.5 trillion. And I can't tell you, I don't think anybody even asks me about it. Nobody tweets me about it. Nobody, nobody's emailing about it. There, no one on our side or the other side seems to care that we are spending ourselves into oblivion. What is going on? First of all, I think Biden... This is this is this is what he does, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this. It's the the gangs all here. They're all back. They don't have any of these pesky, you know, Tea Party. They don't have Trump, you know, calling mm -hmm. them out for the spending. Um, it's amazing how we could jump up and down and 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 scream and yell when we have a trillion dollar deficit, right? Tax and spend Democrat is not is not just some pejorative no. that we crazy conservative <laughs> you know, TV and radio guys, you know, we get behind our mics, the tax and spend Democrats. We're looking, Bloomberg is reporting that, that Biden wants the budget to go to $8.2 trillion. Oh we flipped out when we had a trillion dollar deficit. Now look, I think conservatives, bent as far as we can go on our principles during the pandemic when yeah. people were being locked out of their jobs, locked out of their businesses. You can't have the government kick people out of work and say, well, now you're not going to eat, right? Yeah, I that's, totally understand. That's, right. And, and we bent. But then we started as skeptics to read through some of these things, and there were like scholarship programs in Egyptian universities for <laughs> Egyptian students and yeah. transgender studies programs in Pakistan, and the Forestry Service got like $70 million. I'm sorry, are the trees getting it? <laughs> you know, we started to say like, hey, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We thought you were keeping food on the table and, and the power mm -hmm. on and people from being evicted. We found out that a lot of what they were spending was just a laundry list of progressive Democrat, you know, wants that they couldn't get through the normal debate and legislative process. Then they did it again. Then they came back and said, well, now we got to have a budget and now we got to do infrastructure. And then they got 19 Republicans who went along with this precursor bill. And then they passed the 3.5 billion on a party line vote, yeah. a trillion, 3.5 trillion. And I don't think they're even done. I don't mm. think they're done. I don't think this is the last thing they're going to do this year. That is terrifying. And, and when you talk about $3.5 trillion, it almost seems like 
okay, 3.5 trillion is a lot of money, but at least, you know, you spend it and then maybe we can get back to sanity. But so much of this spending proposal has programs that there is no chance they will go away once they are implemented. You know, the family leave type stuff, right? Like when this gets implemented, it will uh, exist in this country until the end of time, until the end of time. We let them through with this, this one time, it will go on forever, the spending. Look at it like Obamacare. They did not come to us and say, look, there are things that would knock out, would bankrupt even a wealthy family. We've, we've got to make sure, and I hate to sound like Bernie Sanders, <laughs> that cancer doesn't bankrupt people. If you were talking about yeah. a narrow, narrow sure. set of circuits, I would still argue Tenth Amendment and all that stuff. But if you were talking about a really narrow program for people who are facing catastrophic illness, no fault of their own, a child, but we don't want to have a Charlie Guard situation. Like We don't want that. Mm -hmm. I think our humanity would have let us say, let's try to find a way to make this constitutional. But the, <laughs> they start with these seemingly benevolent and in somewhat innocuous you know, proposals, and then you read the fine print or lack thereof. So 90 days paid vacation to care for a loved one. What's a loved one? I mean, do you mean like like do you mean just my kid? Like, I mean, love. That's a pretty broad category of people that if I want to take off 90 days a year at four thousand dollars, four thousand dollars per month, that's 12 grand on top of the three hundred and sixty dollars per month that many of these families are going to get. Is it every year? Is it every other year? Can you only do it twice in your life? They have not told us what the limiting principles are to this. What's a loved one and how many times can you pull this? I like what's a loved one too. What if you don't like your kid? Can you still stay home with them? <laughs> I don't, you know what? I'm just not a fan. But what, what, what determines that? Is it, where right. do you draw the line? Cousins, second cousins, <laughs> right? Like the neighbor down the block, he's pretty nice. Yeah. He seems pretty sick right now. I'll be in Bali, you know? Yeah, like, I like that. Isn't part of this too, Andrew, like, this idea, the way this whole bill came together, which is to say, like, if I were to say to my wife, Lisa, who is, of course, we've talked about this before, a huge fan of your show, loves, Thank you. loves listening to you on Sirius. Um, and it, she is, uh, she's an, I'll say this, an occasional spender of currency. She knows how to do that. It's one of her Women skills. be shopping. Yeah, women be shopping. Thank you. That's a better summary. And so if she comes to me and she says, look, I need to get X, Y, and Z for the house. Uh, it's going to cost this, cost this, this, cost this, this, cost this. I can look at that and say, okay, you know, I don't know. This seems a little expensive. Can we do a little bit better here? Most likely I'll just say yes, honey. Uh, but if she came to me and just said, I need $4,000 for the house, I might say like, well, for what exactly? For the house. For the house. What do you mean the house? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to do things around the house. That's how they're doing, building this bill. They're saying we have $3.5 trillion for these programs, and now we're going to send them over to the House, and they're going to fill in the list of the things we need. Do you need it or not? What bridges do you need fixed? You're supposed to build that the other way. Am I wrong on that? I, I, I will I'll make your head explode with this one. <laughs> oh, this no. is something I've never understood. I've never had. I am a civil guy. I'll talk to a Democrat all day if they can explain this to me. You have a pothole in any town USA, right? What happens is if you have enough potholes, they say, we got to fill these potholes. We need a federal program. So tax dollars leave any town in USA for Washington, D.C. Mm. They ping around the appropriations process, right? The congressmen and the senators say, well, we got to have these, you know, fix the roads, bridges, and tunnels. And they say, okay, appropriate money to fill that pothole. Really, the town council and the mayor should have done that 
months ago, right? right? We should it's not be job. paying the federal government to tell us when we can fill our potholes. And I've never understood why that's efficient. Well, we need money for the local schools. Well, why are we sending the money to Washington first and asking for it back second? <laughs> right. Like, that makes no sense. That's not the military. That's not something the local government can do. When they say that Republicans want to defund the police, no municipal police should be paid for it with municipal taxes. County police should be paid for with county taxes, and state police should be paid for with state taxes. Mm. I don't see how that's defunding the police <laughs> by saying they, these are the layers of government and they exist. Well, you see the way the government treats these dollars and, and, and treats treats us as citizens. I mean, example here. Talk about inefficient. We have a president who is now telling us uh, via tweet and statement that OPEC needs to raise the amount of oil they produce. I'm writhing in my seat already. <laughs> to I'm help writhing. our gas prices. Is that the best way to do this? You mean canceling pipelines? <laughs> canceling pipelines? Watching pipelines be hacked? Mm. You're cracking down on fracking? My favorite part of this story is that Biden signed an executive order that said 50% of auto production has got to be electric by 2030. But then he put a moratorium on mining rare earth. So where the hell are we getting the batteries, right? right? You know, yeah. we've got the material, we've got the oil, we've got the natural gas, we've got the coal, we've got the rare earth. But we're, the Chinese are not only mining their rare earth, they're mining rare earth in Africa. And the Biden administration said, well, we'll be importing it from Canada, which the last time I checked bordered the United States. Is it safer <laughs> to get it there than, <laughs> right. than in Montana or something? Mm -hmm. And then it said Argentina. And I was like, South America? Like they're never prone to political instability down no, there, right? But well, wouldn't it be great if we relied our transportation hinged on the political <laughs> yeah. outcomes in South America? Yeah, especially when one of their biannual revolutions that are going <laughs> right. on, right? It's just a, it's a it's a weird thing because it seemed like we were going the right direction. You know, we talked about the spending. You know, Trump he would address spending occasionally, but he it was never a central part of his core. Uh, but CNN even beat him up for this. He hmm. actually produced a list of cuts he wanted for each department. That's true. Except for mm -hmm. the Veter Department of Veteran yep. Affairs, Homeland Security, and Department of Defense. Yeah. It wasn't his focus, though. Like, he, he focused, he talked a lot about the border. He talked a lot about, uh, you know, woke stuff in, in culture. It, but it was never like, he was never the guy that, that ran on, I'm going to cut entitlements, for example. That was not. No, he was not Milton Friedman. He, he was not. And so that's okay. Um, but you look at, like, when it come, comes to energy, he really did have us on the path to energy independence. Um, you know, by some measure, we kind of got there. And then as soon as Biden gets in, he does everything he can to reverse that and make us more dependent on another slightly unstable place uh, in the Middle East with OPEC. I mean, it makes no sense. I will add to this. I, I was so impressed with Trump saying to Angela Merkel, why don't you buy oil and natural gas from us and not the Russians? Mm. And our media was like, oh, my God, you don't talk to German Hillary like that. But wait a <laughs> second. Isn't that bad for Putin? You just said Trump's in bed with Putin. There he is sanctioning yeah. the pipeline that they built around the Ukraine. <laughs> Get your Hunter Biden money back, right? Mm -hmm. they, they built the pipeline around the Ukraine to feed Germany our ally in NATO. And then when Trump said, maybe you should pay more for NATO, they said, you can't do that to our allies. So our ally feel threat, feels threatened by Russia, whom they're buying their oil and natural gas from. And it's, it's out of the question for us to say, let's sell them at least Canadian. Yeah. You know, if it's not promoting our own interests, maybe Trudeau can step in and say, 
yeah, we'll sell you some oil and natural gas. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny, with all the criticism that was leveled at Trump, this one, to me, never had any teeth to it. You don't think the rest of the world, they're, they're thrilled. Our adversaries in China, our adversaries in uh, in Russia, all over the world are thrilled to see Joe Biden in there. Mm-hmm. They, first of all, ha- seemingly have all sorts of information about his corruption, not only with him, but his son and so many others. But also, like, you see the way he handles this. Look at what, what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Look at what, what's happening uh, in uh, with China and Russia. They they look at this as an opportunity. We become pushovers in so many ways. Jen Psaki said the Taliban's going to have to. Taliban? Sound like Barack Obama, Pakistan. <laughs> the Taliban <laughs> is going to have to decide what their place is in the world because the international community is watching. I'm sure they're worried about strongly worded oh. emails. Right? <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure they're worried about strongly worded emails. I, I don't think they care. They sell no. children. You know, like, <laughs> right. this is not something they're worried about. No, it isn't. But it is. It's, a, it's an embarrassing thing to watch, though. I mean, I, you know, look, I understand we can't be everywhere and do all these things. We, we would, I think, agree that, like, we don't want to be everywhere and be in the, the, the global police. But, like, we're, like, not even, we haven't even left yet. And the Taliban's taken over like 60% of the country. And all these things are, are happening. Our stuff is there. Our military supplies are there. They're going to be using it to do God knows what to us. Yeah, the, 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 the videos of their army literally surrendering and handing their weapons over. Unbelievable. It, it was like, that should just, look, I, I think we, especially as conservatives, did not want to ever come across as not supporting the troops. Mm-hmm. But I think after 20 years, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who tries it. It doesn't matter what their political party is. The interventionalism stuff clearly is not working, especially yeah. in a place they call the graveyard of empires. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, you know? Never a good idea. Well, I think that was in A Princess Bride. They even gave you that. Don't, do it, don't start a land war in yeah. Asia. Um, before we go, we've got to talk a little Andrew right. Cuomo. It's been a crazy week. Mm-hmm. I... I as a guy who talked about Cuomo a lot, and you're from uh, the Northeast, you've, you, you know... I grew up on Long Island. You grew up on Long Island. I don't know that I believed he was actually going to step down. And I, I almost feel uncomfortable talking about it as a resignation, because the bottom line is he's only leaving office, we think, because he realized he had no other way. If, if he could have fought on, if he had any chance to beat the impeachment, I think he would have. This is self-preservation, is it not? I... Well, first of all, there's a pretty good history of New York attorney generals knocking out the governor, mm-hmm. including Andrew Cuomo as an attorney general. Yeah. Right. There's a it would not surprise me if Leti- I don't think Letitia James uh, is a an honest player here. A hundred percent. I think there's a lot of truth to what he's accused of. He was raised the son of the governor. He's always been a man who has had power and privilege. Um, and probably his fair share of groupies as a, as a younger man. I, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Um, I, but I think they they looked at this as an opportunity to put her in position to become governor. And I, I still think one of the most shocking details about this is literally the head of Time's Up, mm-hmm. right? This organization that was designed to bring down the Harvey Weinsteins and the Charlie Roses and the Matt Lowers and anybody that would, you know, butt grab. <laughs> she was the one out there discrediting Lindsey Boylan and claiming that her what she was doing was motivated by politics. I thought it was believe all women and believe all survivors. And, you know, you don't question the victim, Christine Blasey Ford. You don't bring in prosecutors. Well, 
his lawyer, Rita Glavin, went on television and went line by line of Brittany uh, Camiso's complaint and said, this is fake, this is not real. Yeah. Like, so isn't that victim shaming? I, I, I don't know. Ugh, I don't know what... I don't know if it's Letitia James is the dishonest player here. I don't know if how, how I mean he's entitled to due process. Yes, I mean, yes, he I is agree. entitled to due process, and that's that's something only we seem to be saying. Yeah, I know, especially when politics are involved at this level, right? When you have uh, real political consequences, due process is it even pops into your mind more, right? Like if someone's accusing. You know, when, when there's an accusation against Joe Biden, like he deserves to care read due process. Absolutely. Um, so what does this mean for for the Me Too movement, though? Because the time's up situation, playing politics to trash, you know, ac accusers behind the scenes undermines their supposed mission. I thought, what are, are these people even real? I don't know. I didn't see any pink vagina hats storming <laughs> Albany. Right. We, <laughs> did, we, yeah. didn't, we didn't see any of that. We didn't see the protests, the picket signs. It was quite, it was kind of like, well, he sh he should just go. Right. He should just go. And I think some of these left wing women know this is a weapon only they can they can play with. I mean, yeah. are, are, what do we expect? there to be like they always say well you guys and, and Brett Kavanaugh and Donald Trump okay but are we, are we gonna sit here as men and go well, it's not fair none of you women have been brought down by this stuff like <laughs> like are we waiting for that to happen I, I don't know I, I, I don't see any female politicians that are gonna go down I mean maybe they could be neat mean nasty backstabbing and backbiting to each other but on on sexual misconduct I don't see any females going down for this so I think they they know this mm. is their own, this is their weapon. Well, I, you know, and I maintain I think, you know, this really is only a part of it. And he's he pu publicly he's taken down for these accusations with the women, but so many other things. There's such a long history with these people. So many things, obviously the the nursing home stuff, but so Yeah, much. that's let yeah. me say the mean thing here. The, these 11 women are going to be alive tomorrow. Yes. And they're mm -hmm. going to find justice in some way. 15,000 people are not coming back. And that's what got him, yeah, you know? That's that, what should have. That's, that's yeah, what yeah, brought yeah. him down? Yeah, no, you're right. It's the mean thing, but it's the true thing. And that's, uh, you don't mind doing that when you have to. Andrew Wilkow, he'll be sure, uh, be sure to catch him right here on Blaze TV. Uh, as, of course, as well on Twitter, at Wilkow Majority, on Sirius as well. Don't miss his radio program. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. that I think people should know there is a virus here. It kills people. What? And the only way it we does? prevent it is, is we get vaccinated, oh. we wear masks, masks. We do social distancing, social distancing, washing your hands all the time. All the time. And not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Ah. Because with freedom comes obligations and uh, and kind of responsibilities. Make fun of his accent all you want, but he's communicating better than a lot of the people on the left. Because uh, he's laying it out there, for real. Screw your freedom. There you go. Congratulations. There's a couple things going on here. Number one, the least likable people on the planet are telling you all the time to take the vaccine and uh, put on masks and all these social distancing things. And it's hard to listen to any of them talk about it, frankly, uh, because they're all terrible. Screw your freedom. A guy who came over here and built uh, what he built here in the United States. Uh, it's hard to understand how someone who's an immigrant who came to the United States with all this opportunity could say, screw your freedom. It's, it's mind blowing. On the other hand, there are, uh, you know, also 
sort of attacks going against the vaccines and whether they're working or not. And, you know, people are talking about, well, they might not be working as well as thought or maybe in Israel, for example, uh, the protection is waning. It's a important to understand that the protection uh, let's say it is waning. There are studies on both sides of that right now. We don't know what's what's true and what isn't. But what I will say is it's all way, way better than not having it. <laughs> right. Like we're talking about, is it only 70 percent effective? Is it only 50 percent effective? Is it all, is it still 90 percent effective? Like these are lines, but it's all in relation to not having it. And it's doing a, lot, a much better job at this point. Let me give you two graphs from. Uh, Israel here real quick. This is the uh, these are severe cases right now in Israel. Again, does this look like they're working or not? The green line at the very bottom shows a slight increase among fully vaccinated people. People that are partially vaccinated have a uh, an increase that's a little bit uh, more, as you can see with the yellow line. However, the line that's going straight up once again is the red line, which in this case is unvaccinated. And you can see this across every single age group throughout Israel. Here's that breakdown. Uh, you see the very scary uh, red bars there at the top, and they are going up, uh, up, 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 up. You know, we're about, uh, say, I'm just looking at this and eyeballing it, but about six or seven times as likely to have a severe case if you happen to be unvaccinated as, as, as opposed to fully vaccinated. So look, these things aren't, you know, I, I still think they're miracles, but they're not, uh, they're not perfect as we've discussed many, many times, even going back to the initial studies. However, there is a, uh, there's something to talk about and we gotta keep learning about how long the immunity is going to last, how much and why haven't we taken into account natural, naturally acquired immunity uh, more, uh, more often. I mean, as you know, I'm a COVID-19 survivor, okay? That's who I am, okay? I fought this virus and I won. Or I had an asymptomatic case that I barely noticed, but that's, that's been totally besides the fact. The point here is you shouldn't be getting harassed by people like uh, Andrew, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, you know, I mean, let's be honest, this is a guy who is, you know, he was, you know, he's nailing his maid. Are we really gonna take health advice from him? That doesn't sound like the healthiest thing in the world to do. I don't know, at least for your marriage. Back in a second. So have you ever looked in the mirror and said, I just wish this bag under my eye would go away? If it sounds like you in the morning, uh, well, you're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women, but you don't have to worry about that anymore. Why? GenuCell is here. They've got the new GenuCell serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Uh, here's uh, Susan from New Jersey. She wrote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. Now, you might say, well, is Susan even real? Who's Susan? I don't know Susan. Well, you don't have to believe Susan. They have instant effects, uh, which is one of their products. You'll see results within uh, 12 hours or your money back. 12 hours or your money back. They guarantee it. This is easy. Uh, yeah, nothing to risk here. Order now, get 50% off all GenuCell packages for summer at lovegenucell.com slash stew. Again, it's lovegenucell.com slash stew. Don't miss out. Lovegenucell.com slash stew. Check it out today. How do I feed my children? StewDoesAmerica.com. Go there, 
click on YouTube, click on merch, uh, watch the show, subscribe to blazetv.com slash stew, promo code stew, save 10 bucks. Do all the things because we need to stay on the air and I like doing the show with you. Thank you so much for hanging out uh, as always. And you can go to YouTube, you can comment during the show. This one came up about a major new development here in the program. Um, I, uh, I tap my ring all the time and it annoys the heck out of the podcast listeners. So I've transformed to this new rubber ring for the show. And now the tapping's not nearly as bad. Uh, this comment comes in, though, from YouTube. A little critical of that decision. says, keep the tapping up. It adds character to the show. The podcast listeners should suck it up and buy a subscription to The Blaze so that they can enjoy the show the way it was meant to be enjoyed by watching it. I will say this. I don't want to see a civil war break out. I don't want to see a Taliban uh, Afghanistan thing going on between YouTube uh, viewers and podcast listeners. That would be bad. We don't need any more bloodshed in this country. But I will say this guy who made this comment is suggesting a Blaze TV subscription, however, is on YouTube. So, I mean, I feel like there's a fact check. There's a Snopes thing coming out about that pretty soon. We'll get into that. Also, don't forget to rate and review the program on podcast, if you would. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. One continuous episode, five freaking stars. Nice suit, decent content. Here's your five-star review. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Whatever. I'd give it six stars. If I could, I only need five. That's all I ask of you, five freaking stars. Uh, before we uh, move on, we're going to spend a lot, a lot of time on this in the next few weeks. But this spending, these spending proposals that have been going on, we've broken down a bunch of them already, but there's so much more to do on this. Uh, now, there's nine centrist Democrats, if you believe those two words sitting next to each other, that are going to say to Nancy Pelosi, we're not going to approve the $3.5 trillion until we pass fully the $1 trillion stimulus product uh, that, that is out there, which is an amazing threat. Basically, we're not going to spend $3.5 trillion until we, until we can make it $4.7. I, I, okay, that's the moderate approach to this. Look, anything that will block these plans, I am for. They are terrible in every single way. Zero Republicans should have gone uh, along with the first one. Of course, they would have just jammed it into this one anyway. We'll see if any of this holds up. I tend to see uh, situation after situation where Nancy Pelosi has uh, authority over uh, Democrats and they all fall into line. That's basically what seems to happen here. We will watch it, though, for you coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Back in a second. Before I go, I must say a happy birthday to my son, Zach, who turned 10 today, 10 freaking years old. Do you believe that? Double digits. Uh, it seems impossible. That just seems completely blowing my mind. So anyway, happy birthday, Zach. Uh, I will be eating uh, lots of your cake later on this evening. Uh, before we go, I want to tell you uh, that you can always get your Andrew Cuomo is awful gear at andrewcuomoisawful.com. Or just go to stewdoesamerica.com. All the links are there for social and everything else that you might possibly need. Uh, okay. All right. Are you ready? So here's what happened. An Olympic softball player in Japan. She won one of the medals. She goes up. She, she, she meets with her local mayor, which is the typical thing you do when you're a, an Olympic athlete. You go meet the mayor. You have the nice ceremony. Well, the mayor takes the, the medal off of her neck and decides to put it on his neck and then decides to do the cheesy, like, I'm going to bite this medal to see if it's really gold thing. 
That turns into a big problem because they say it's some sort of COVID violation, which, you know, look, just wash the stupid metal off. I mean, this is not that big of a deal. I will also say it does not look like he's biting it to see if it's gold. It looks like he's eating it like a hamburger. I, I don't know what exactly he was doing. This turned into a, a slightly bigger scandal, however, because he was caught on mic asking uh, the, the girl, are you prohibited from having romantic relationships, which is kind of an odd question from a 72-year-old to a 20-year-old. Um, however, it's good to see that Andrew Cuomo's speeches and practices have been translated to Japanese as well. So everyone knows now, and they can all do the Cuomo themselves. We are back on Monday. See you then. Have a great weekend.